Happy Tuesday, everyone. Uh, Phil here. Welcome to our first Tuesday in this new COVID-19 reality where we can't physically meet together. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. Real quickly, if you're listening to this apart from the digital liturgy that is up on tnl.org, um, I'd encourage you, if you want to, to pause this and navigate over to the website. Uh, basically, I've put together a service for you to walk through complete with uh, Spotify or YouTube playlists with the songs that we would have sang together tonight. There's some prayers that we would have prayed together tonight and a few other things along with the talk. Um, I'm going to put something like this up every Tuesday so that we can all follow along together and sort of have a remote service together um, until we can meet again together in person. I'm also putting stuff up on our Instagram close to, if not every day, uh, so be sure to follow us on there. Um, on Instagram, it's TNL Church. Same thing with Facebook, TNL Church. And I think everything I'm putting on Instagram is going over to Facebook. Um, we're also putting stuff out to our email list. You should have gotten an email yesterday with kind of the lay of the land for the next few weeks. If for some reason you aren't on our email list, but you want to be, um, shoot us an email to hello at tnl.org and we'll get you on the list. Stay safe and healthy out there. Be kind to one another. Continue to take care of one another, um, and please reach out to us if you need anything. Without further ado, here's Jared Mackey with the homily for tonight. Good evening, TNL. My name is Jared Mackey, and it's a Tuesday afternoon at Acoma, and I am recording this talk in a very quiet office. In my 26 years of being a part of TNL, we have never had consecutive weeks off. And so the idea of not being at TNL for several weeks is unique in my adult life. But we are in, in a unique moment, and I would just like to first and foremost say that I'm incredibly encouraged by the leadership of TNL, uh, by Phil as a pastor and the elders, and across really our family of churches, the pastors and elders of how they have cared for people in our family of churches over the last week is really inspiring. I'd like to let you know that our board of trustees is meeting this week uh, via video about how do we navigate this season ahead together organizationally. Uh, but most of all, I would like to say thank you to you for the ways that you are reaching out to each other, the way that you're reaching out to your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends and your family. Um, it's been incredibly inspiring and encouraging amidst a lot of the news that's concerning uh, how we are caring for each other. If you'd like uh, another good news update, I would like to let you know that construction began yesterday here at Acoma on the parking lot, patio, and play space that we raised funds for during our Christmas campaign. So if you need an encouraging field trip, I would encourage you to drive over to Acoma sometime in the next two weeks and see how the space is progressing. The season that we're in is a season of Lent. It's a season where we talk about giving up and taking up. We talk about giving up so we can create space to hear and taking up so we can create maybe new ways to listen. But this may be the most memorable Lent in our lifetime. A pastor posted on Twitter this week, all bets are off for Lent. We all just gave up normalcy and that's giving up more than enough. So maybe that's you. Maybe your practices for Lent about what you've given up or what you've taken up need to shift. I think there's plenty of room for creative responses to this season of Lent during this unexpected season that we all find ourselves in. 
I think one of the things that has encouraged me has been the Instagram videos that Phil's been posting this last week. I would encourage you to follow TNL on social media or find the link at the bottom of the TNL.org website to watch them on the TNL Instagram page. Because what Phil's saying is what I think I would want to reiterate most. If there's ever a moment that space was being created so that we could hear our hearts and listen to the longings that are going on deep in our life, This is that moment. That space is being created for us if we want to have it or not. And so in the season, I would encourage you to continue to remain connected up towards God and in towards yourself, but also remember how and and why you need to be moving in towards others by checking in with video calls or when you can do so safely, sharing a meal or a moment or a conversation with others. And then finally, this is such a unique opportunity for us to do what TNL wants to be about, to decrease suffering and increase joy by moving out towards those around us. Kenna, my 10-year-old daughter that many of you know, and I made just a simple note that we delivered to the 40 houses on South Holly Street. We said we're here to help because we live near several people who are over the age of 70. So the note said, if you need us to pick something up at the store, or if you need somebody to stand six feet away from you in your front lawn to have a conversation, we're here to help. So this is a moment for us to continue to grow up in and out together. During the season of Lent this year, we decided the series that we would do is through the Beatitudes. And it's the series that we're continuing through this very uncommon Lent is the series of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a sign of a preamble to the longest sermon that we have recorded of Jesus. The scholar Frederick Dale Bruner writes, First and literally, the Beatitudes are Jesus's surprising countercultural God bless yous to people in God awful situations. And that's how much of the Beatitudes sound. They sound upside down or maybe they're just unexpected right size up once we get to know them, teachings of Jesus. And so this week's talk is on uh, blessed are the meek and blessed are the pure in heart. We chose when we were putting the series together to combine a few of the eight Beatitudes over the six weeks of Lent. Now, East Colfax and Inglewood had great talks this week on the meek, and I would encourage you to find those talks on Spotify or on a podcast and listen in. But I want to offer my reflections tonight about blessed are the pure in heart. I'd like to begin with the reading of the teaching text from the message version. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions, and this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you'll find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So take a moment and take a deep breath. Whatever faith or doubt you're feeling in this moment as you listen in, ask for God to speak and ask for the courage and grace to respond. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm not sure how that sounded to the original audience. There's two parts that this complex proclamation from Jesus makes that I think they may have been as confused as we are. What does it mean to be pure in heart? And what does it mean to see God? Well, let's take the first one. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, the original word for pure that Jesus is saying here is used about 30 times in the New Testament, and it gets translated clean or clear as often as it does pure. Now, the word heart, on the other hand, occurs about 800 times. And to be clear, it's never about that blood pumping organ, but it's about our center of being. So my guess is that when people heard blessed are the pure in heart, they were as curious and maybe as confused as we are. Now, purity was an ingrained part of their religious practice. To be pure, to be clean, or to be clear was the reason why the Pharisees, those religious rulers, had created so many extra rules and regulations around their religion. Purity was something that you managed and you mandated externally with laws and codes and rules. And began with maybe an intent to keep a life that was connected to God, but it had quickly devolved into a life about just keeping clean so that you could prove that you were the one who was clean amongst a very dirty society. Well, that idea of purity has managed uh, and mandated other people's externalized spirituality has woven its way through every community that's ever tried to follow the way of Jesus over all the centuries. It seems that there is this always opposite but equal way to find yourself lost from the love of God. I think of the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 that we often call the parable of the prodigal son, but really it's about two lost sons. That for every person who is the younger sibling who's rebellious and reckless, there's an older sibling who's religious and self-righteous. And if we're honest, both are lost. Both need the father's love. And the most inspiring thing is that the father comes looking for both. Well, one of the ways that I got lost from the love of God was about purity. It was about following rules to manage a morality. I participated and promoted and in many ways maybe was the poster child for what was called the purity culture. Now, for those who didn't grow up in the same section of Christianity that I did, let me try to explain. There was a movement in the evangelical church in the 80s and 90s about sexual purity called true love weights. It was informed by the sexual revolution of the 70s. It was probably somewhat informed by the AIDS epidemic and uh, about abortion and Roe versus Wade. But I think underneath it all, it was an old script. It was an old script that was getting reused about externalizing our morality and specifically around teenage sexuality. To my knowledge, there was never a 40-year-old participating in True Love Weights. The movement had all the trappings of a popular church program. There was a chart. And then there was the pocket-sized chart that you carried with you about how far was too far. There was a ceremony that you participated in and maybe even rings that you wore, uh, like a wedding ring, except that you, you weren't getting married. You were just making a lot of public announcements about how you were waiting for marriage to have sexual intercourse. And looking back, it's such an odd thing to have participated in because it may have begun with pure motives, but it quickly became full of pretentiousness and self-righteousness 
And it was a way to announce how your purity, your spirituality, and your sexuality was somewhat superior to everybody else. It could have almost been comic except for the scars that it left on so many, including me. I followed all the rules externally. I kept the chart, but my heart developed relational patterns of unhealth. I developed a deep sexual insecurity, and I think I covered it all with this thin veneer that I was pure. I ended up writing an article years later for a friend's magazine called I Waited. And it was talking about all the ways that I had waited externally to have sex in marriage. But at the end of the day, my heart was not pure. The focus had been all about me, my behavior, and I had become so self-consumed that I was unable to see God. It was the exact opposite of what Jesus was saying is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. My heart wasn't pure, and I was unable to see God. Now, the reality is that none of us can make ourselves pure by externalizing our morality or modifying our behavior or anybody else's. See, I believe that scripture clearly teaches that a clean heart, a clear heart, a pure heart comes from God. David, that poet king of Israel wrote, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's in Psalm 51.10, if you'd like to look it up later. I believe to be pure in heart is to have a posture of asking God to form and transform our hearts to form and transform the way that we see him, that we see ourselves, and that we see each other. See, our responsibility is to create this space. But God does the purifying, the cleaning, and the clearing. So, in the practice and process of God creating a pure heart, I believe this is what Jesus was talking about, is then we will see God. But what does it mean to see God? Well, this coming weekend... I had scheduled to be on a silent retreat at Sacred Heart in Sedalia. For the last four years during Lent, I've spent three days in silence listening to Father Vince. Father Vince, as many of you have heard me tell stories about him, is an 86-year-old Jesuit priest that I've had the opportunity to listen and learn from over the last several years. I remember the first time I was on a retreat with Father Vince, and he said two quotes that have formed so much of my thought and practice over the last few years. His first statement was, The soul is dyed with the color of your thoughts. It's a quote from Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, one of the characters in the movie Gladiator, which, by the way, if you're looking to add to your quarantine collection of inspiring movies, put Gladiator on the list. What did he mean? The soul is dyed with the color of your thoughts. Well, I think what Father Vince helped me understand is so much of what had gone on and what I had believed I had formed my soul of who I had become. So Father Vince followed up with a second line, a second quote that's been incredibly important to me, and he says, the world is dyed with the color of your soul. See, the color of my soul was a dark hue as my thoughts after my marriage ended seven years ago and things professionally here at TNL were incredibly difficult. And mostly the color of my soul was formed by shame and insecurity. I had managed my morality over the years. I had followed the rules, but that did not create in me thoughts that formed my soul to see myself as the beloved child of God. No, that came through severe mercy and relentless grace. But I believe the way that 
my thoughts now operate, the, the color of my soul, and the way I see the world has fundamentally changed because of slow, quiet, patient work of my heart being cleaned and cleared and purified by God's love and grace. In the last conversation Jesus has with his friends and followers, he restates the truth about seeing God. John writes down Jesus' words in John 14, 19. Jesus says, the world will not see me, but you will see me. He's telling those that he loves, they'll continue to see God at work even when the world does not. He's telling them once again that you're blessed when your heart has been cleaned out and purified by God. And to be clear, purifying is a patient and a painful process. But it is an invitation to see God. Our loving Father, our gracious King, our Creator, and our Redeemer. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Whereas the message says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your heart and your mind put right. Well, the only edit that I would humbly make to the message version would be to reframe who's putting your inside world right. I believe it's our work to make the space, but it's God's work to purify our heart. So I'd like to suggest humbly that it could read, you're blessed when your inside world, your mind and your heart are put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. That's what I think Jesus is saying, is that you're blessed when God has done the work of cleaning and clearing and purifying your heart, because then you see God in the outside world, which is maybe an incredibly important thing for us to consider right now. Amidst a lot of fear and anxiety, those with a pure heart will be able to see God even in the most tragic and anxious situations. So how do we respond to this invitation and this invocation of Jesus for a pure heart? Well, I'd like to offer a few things for you to write down, maybe reflect on, have a video call with somebody this week, uh, maybe practice with your family. Here's a couple of questions to consider. What are the constant thoughts that have dyed the color of my heart? What are the messages that you have listened to that have dyed the color of who you believe yourself to be? Maybe a more creative question would be, what hue or color would I describe my heart currently? Uh, if you need help, Google Crayola Crayon Colors. And it might be helpful just to begin creatively with asking, like, what is the state of my heart? What hue does it hold? The third question is, how could I begin to choose during this very unusual season of Lent to create space to ask God to create in me a clean heart, a clear heart, and a pure heart? And then the last question would be, well, where do I see God? That last question I'd like to offer maybe two practices that I hope are helpful. The first is a prayer of examine. It's a way to have a posture to have God form the way that we see ourselves, our lives, our days, and ultimately Him. TNL has practiced this on a regular basis in our Tuesday night worship gatherings, and I'm just going to walk through the five steps. Um, it takes maybe five to ten minutes if you chose to do it. The first step of a prayer of examine is to acknowledge God's presence. You would pause and you would just ask grace for God to help you review your day. The second step is to review your day with a posture of gratitude. Somewhat like 
replaying a video and you're asking for God's view on the events of your day and you're asking him to push pause and allow you to see maybe underneath the surface of what was going on. The third step is to recognize one consolation or desolation. A consolation can best maybe be understood as an experience in which you felt really close to God. A desolation could be understood as an experience where you really felt far away from God. And so ask for help to see maybe what you had missed, where you felt close to God or where you felt far from God. The, the fourth step would be to reflect on that consolation or desolation, to, to look a little closer to see what are the thoughts that are dying the color of your soul and ask God for his forgiveness and his grace or express deep gratitude for his goodness uh, about that moment where you felt very close to him. The fifth and final step of a, step of a prayer of examine is that you look forward to tomorrow with hope. See, the practice of examine is always not just looking back, but it is looking forward to an awareness to be present to seeing God in all things. Now, the second practice is to read a book. For those of you of you with small children, you've likely already read it. It is called Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? If you've never read Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? I think you should order it on Amazon. It's a spectacular book. It's written by Eric Carlisle. The illustrations are wonderful. But it's asking a question that we love to ask when we're children, and then we too often wear tired of asking as we grow older. And the question is simply, what do you see? Every day we're invited to see God. We're invited to see his love in our lives and in the lives of others, even in the most difficult situations. So read Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see with or without toddlers present this week? And ask maybe at the end of the day, what did you see? What do you see, Tino? We're invited to have a pure heart and to see God. I'd like to close by just saying um, my daughter and I are praying uh, every night uh, for our family and our friends, uh, of which includes so many of you. I'd like to encourage you to reach out to our family of churches if we can support you in any way. As pastors, we're continuing to learn how to lead well in this most uncommon season in responding to the virus that has really reached a global a pandemic at this point that's reshaping so much of our realities. But we want to look at, for creative ways to continue to encourage you to follow the way of Jesus, to move up towards the Father, to move in towards yourselves and each other, and to move out to the places that you live and learn and work and play. We would encourage you to be creative about how you're going to keep rhythms in your life. Our plan tonight is to do Chick-fil-A takeout because that's what we do on Tuesdays. We'll probably listen to a few songs that we sing around TNL on a Spotify playlist. Uh, and then we're going to listen to the talk tonight at 7 p.m. I hope it's a good talk. I would like to end the podcast by saying uh, a very happy birthday to Phil. Today is Phil Owen's birthday, and so I'd encourage you to send him an email, send him a message telling him what you appreciate about him today. Uh, the other moment of today is, of course, St. Patrick's Day. 
an odd St. Patrick's Day without large gatherings or parades, but there's still a celebration of a saint whose life was marked by a purity of heart and a deep love because he saw God all around him. So I'd like to leave you tonight with a blessing, the prayer of St. Patrick. May the strength of God pilot you. May the wisdom of God guide you. May the power of God sustain you. May Christ be on your right. May Christ be on your left. May Christ be in front of you. May Christ be behind you. May Christ be under you. May Christ be above you. And may Christ be within you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.